Welcome to the AEC Hive podcast, where we uh, will be discussing innovation for the architecture, engineering, and construction sector with uh, leading experts in the field. I'm Ralph Montague, one of the co-founders of AEC Hive and director of ArcDocs BIM Consultants in Dublin, Ireland. And I'm joined today by John Egan, the other co-founder of AEC Hive and CEO of uh, BIM Launcher. So, John, would you like to say a quick hello and just introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. Um, yes, thanks for the introduction. I'm CEO of BIM Launcher. Um, we work on a daily basis integrating project platforms um, and improving the lives of construction professionals, providing them advanced integration technologies and workflow automation technologies. Um, so they do not have to manually exchange information between between their project systems. Okay, so AC Hive is obviously very focused on pushing and promoting innovation for the AEC sector, uh, and we're very pleased today to be joined by an expert in this field, Chris Tisdall from Austin, Texas, who's an innovation expert and consultant. Chris is the founder and CEO of Ruckus Innovation Consulting, which is just an awesome name and uh, has probably one of the best logos I've seen. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and Chris holds a master's in architecture and has spent 27 years practicing and consulting in architecture, innovation and strategic services. So you're very welcome to join us, Chris, and we, we're so pleased to have you with us. Um, if you want to just give people um, a quick introduction and, and just say hi. Thank you very much. Howdy, Ralph and John and, and AEC Hivers, and howdy from Texas. I'm really uh, glad to be here and uh, really uh, enjoy the discussion around innovation uh, within the AEC and frankly, outside the AEC uh, community and within uh, multiple regions. I like to think of, of Texas even in the US as its own country. So I'll be representing the country of Texas today on our call and uh, very happy to do it. Excellent. Chris, tell us about this name, Ruckus in, uh, Innovation Consulting. How did you come up with that name? And I mean, I love the logo as well, this, this punching fist and your sort of motto, you know, let's pick a fight. Tell us a, a bit of background about that. No, I appreciate that. You know, it, 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 it's, it comes from a little bit of bravado. As, as I said before, I'm Texan. I'm from Texas. We have a, we have a bit of a, uh, uh, what most people call walking, we call swagger, uh, and it and it's a bit of bravado, sure, but it but it's fun, and we have a fun time doing it, and and it's a bit of a mentality of, for me personally, of picking a fight with the status quo. Um, when it comes to innovation, we're faced with innovation, we're faced with change like waves upon us every day. And what we typically do is instead of embracing that change, instead of embracing that innovation and trying to do something um, radical, uh, you know, disruptive, different, new, uh, we tend to fight, I think, the wrong battle, which is to hold on to the status quo, hold on to what we feel safe with. And, and that was really, you know, ruckus. Uh, the logo, the the name, you know, the the whole mantra of you know, let's pick a fight with the status quo is all about being very deliberate in where we stand and where we want to go and what we want to do, as opposed to um, sort of letting those waves hit us uh, and and frankly drown us. And and in the AEC community and outside the AEC community, you see many many companies. Um, falling by the wayside, and it's because they they don't have the attitude of uh, embrace change or try to surf that wave. They have the attitude of uh, let's hope and pray that this change and this innovation simply doesn't find us or affect us. And yeah. la lastly, I would say that if you've ever seen or heard of, of Mike Tyson, uh, the, the boxer who likes uh, uh, not only to have a normal diet, but he likes to eat ears occasionally too. Um, 
he is he is very famously quoted as saying, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And to be honest with you, in every workshop that I do, everyone that I talk to, uh, I listen to all of the plans that we create in order to try to hold on to that status quo. And I feel sorry for, for myself and most of us in that position because we are going to get hit in the mouth and it's going to hurt. And I think that innovation and, and embracing innovation is all about getting up off that floor, off that mat and getting back into the fight and keep fighting. So that was excellent, Chris. Um, how did you get to, can you give us a little bit of your background? Like how did you get to this point where you, um, you know, you're sort of leading um, these innovation workshops and for, for organizations? For most of my career, I've been at been blessed at being at the sort of the crossroads, especially in the AEC industry, of new, innovative, and and really digital transformation or or technology transformation. So early on, uh, I got my master's in architecture and went almost immediately right out of university into about a fifteen year career working in high tech architecture. And by that, I mean I worked for clients like uh, AMD, Applied Materials, Dell, uh, Tokyo Electronics, and others, where the the schedules were extremely compressed. The the projects themselves were very high tech in nature. So you had clean rooms inside of clean rooms, and the way that we produced architecture in you know early 2000s is not dissimilar to the way we do it now. Uh, but it was far more paper-driven. It was slower. Trying to meet these compressed schedules was difficult, to say the least. And early on, the, the company Revit was sort of born. I was user number 22. And early on in my career, I could see through the technology something bigger than the technology, if you will. What I saw as an architect was freedom. What I saw as an architect was the ability to slowly but surely become more of that master builder that I think most architects went to school for. You know, at least they thought they were going to be that master builder. And what I think BIM technology at the time did for us was it gave us the ability to do more with less. It gave us the ability to start tiny bits, you know, tiny doors were opening for the integration of data versus just lines, arcs, uh, and geometry, right? And I started to see the more that we could work with data, the better our projects were, the better the end results were, the more intellectual the outcomes were, and frankly, the more robust and, and maybe even interesting and beautiful the designs were. So that sort of launched me on that trajectory of technology and innovation, it led me to become the director of building information modeling for the state of Texas, which was just a, a, a pivotal role for me. It was the first uh, position like it in the United States, as at least for a state government entity. And in that role, I was able to create best practices. I was able to create from an owner's perspective, how we would contract and work with professional service providers and really put building information modeling or geometry plus data at the center of what we were trying to do as an owner operator. And so instead of as an architect, maybe working on a project for three, six, nine, 18 months, I was looking at how do we utilize this technology and this innovation for the next 40, 50, 100 years. And that longer term perspective really allowed me to get deep into not only the technology, but where it could go and where we could take it. That led me actually back into architecture. I worked with Frank Gehry and Gehry Technologies uh, for a while. That led me into being what was titled an innovation strategist for Autodesk. And as you, you know, Autodesk purchased uh, Revit early on. So sort of that sort of came full circle in the in the way of working for Autodesk later on in my career. And in that role of innovation strategist, I was really the absolute point tip of spear of working with clients uh, in a consultant type of role, and my hope was strategic advisor type of role, where I would facilitate, run workshops, work with customers and clients on what their next innovation was. 
And yes, it was enabled by Autodesk technologies and software and services, but really it was client customer first, what was the value to them? And then how could Autodesk, for instance, enable that innovation to come to life and, and be implementable and scalable and so on and so forth. But my real position was to come in and work through the, the value of the innovation, uh, how it affected the people, how the people could affect the innovation in a positive way, um, how to get around obstacles, and really how to bring it out into the real world and implement those innovations to the positive, you know, tangible business value of those customers and clients. And I actually left Autodesk to take a, uh, a not-for-profit role with a group in, back in Austin, Texas, that worked with about 150 different companies. And it was really there where I, I was the director of implementation is trying to roll out new innovations, not across one organization, but literally across 150 or more organizations. And what and how do you do that, right? That's a whole different elephant to eat or task to undertake because the scale is not times one or times 10, it's times 150. And so how do you scale innovation in that way? And all of that has combined uh, over my career to then I launched myself out into you know, the world as Ruckus Innovation Consulting. And it was really my passion around innovation, trying to help others get to those big ideas, bring them to fruition, and frankly, um, not only do good in the world, but be valuable to themselves and to their organizations. There's nothing wrong with um, trying to be prosperous from the innovations that we come up with. And, and I try to sincerely help uh, organizations and individuals all around the world make those innovations and their ideas come true. That's an amazing career. Well, I mean, I suppose like yourself, I've always been interested in trying to do things better. And John and I have known each other for a while and been speaking about innovation, having been in the BIM space for, for 10 years, trying to help clients and project teams. But better ways of working is, is it's just a slow moving beast when it comes to adopting technologies and new ways of working in the AEC sector. Do you get that sense or is it, is it just us in Ireland that are, have the sense that there's a general frustration? around the adoption of innovations and, and technologies and better ways of working? Or is, or is that something you've experienced? Yeah, I think that, it, it, no, no, the, the, the beautiful island of Ireland is not alone in the world. You, you are a part of a much larger and frustrated community, uh, especially in the AECO space. So at the very least, you can be consoled by that. <laughs> okay. What are the main blockers? Yeah, there, there's there's a number of them, and they're they're unfortunately they're numerous. But I do think that we can scale those obstacles and, and get over them because I've seen it done. Um, number one, when it comes to uh, innovation in corporations uh, in companies, to be honest with you, it doesn't have to be limited to the AEC uh, uh, industry, but it's definitely prevalent in the AEC industry. We, we look at the Venn diagram of people, process, and technology, and we put a huge emphasis on process. We um, almost overlook the people part of that Venn diagram, and then we worry about what the technology portion of that Venn diagram is going to cost us. And so we don't look at the technology as an enabler, typically. We look at it as uh, overhead and cost. And that's detrimental, I think, to, to uh, our innovation uh, in our industry. And you can see that from the productivity curve that we're always hit with at every conference, every presentation, um, every meeting that we have of AEC industry in general against every other industry in the world over the history of time. We aren't that great and everybody else is. Um, I, I can find fault in that curve, uh, but the reality is that uh, we put a lot of emphasis on process, which I put in quotes as the plan, and our process keeps getting hit in the mouth, but we keep believing that eventually it will work. Um, and I don't know if that the truth is bearing that out. Um, two, I think we don't look at technology as an enabler. Um, we look at it as uh, overhead or cost, 
We don't see it of value. We see it as a necessary evil. I think that is incredibly short-sighted on our part. And then third, when it comes to people, and I hear this all the time, and it makes me want to pick a fight, uh, and that is the phrase, ideas are a dime a dozen. And when you tell that to someone uh, in a meeting or, or in a, at a conference or at a gathering or a community, when you tell someone, you know, they raise their hand, they're brave enough to voice their opinion or their idea on how can we be innovative or how can we take on this challenge or how can we do something better, let alone be excellent. And it's dismissed with the phrase, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's all about process and implementation. I think what happens is you're basically telling us as human beings that we're a dime a dozen. And that's not the way things work here. And, and, and don't rock the boat. And we know how to make money because we've always made money. We know how to you know hire people because we've always been able to hire people. And a lot of these truths that we believe were absolutely in the past. Going forward, I do not believe that the way we've done things, it will be sustainable in the sort of in the 2020s and beyond. I have very little confidence in the way that we have hired and retained people if that will keep working uh, or will work at all. Uh, in our near future. And to be honest with you, we're already seeing that fail. In, in the U.S., and I'm sure this is a, is a global issue, but in the U.S., we are desperate for not only craftspeople, tradesmen, but executives, you know, middle management, new blood coming out of universities into, our, into architecture, engineering, construction. And that's not going to stop. That's only going to become a bigger issue or, in my opinion, a bigger opportunity. And this is where what I've seen, where I've seen real innovation take hold is on an emergency basis, frankly. Um, I've worked with large corporations and, and small companies where basically they got that punch in the mouth. Something bad happened. They lost a large client. They took on a job that was too big for them. Uh, they lost too many people. And what that spurred in them was a desperation for innovation. And that's one way of doing it. My hope is that we do it proactively, not in an emergency sense. Um, mm. Some of those uh, emergency innovation initiatives have worked and worked really well and not only made those companies come out of a downturn, but made them extremely competitive, if not you know, industry leaders. But Nine times out of 10, what I would suggest is that we take a proactive approach to innovation in a company and then scale that innovation and try to make it sustainable as possible, as opposed to being reactionary every time you get hit in the mouth. You made some excellent points there. And you know, just as you were speaking, and particularly around people and the sort of attitude in the industry to people, I think over the years, I've seen it that the the sort of focus on the the project has limited people's thinking as to who they hire. So they're hiring people to get them through a project without sort of thinking, you know, how am I how might I work with this person for the next twenty years? You know, or they they're employing technologies that might help them deliver a project without thinking, you know, how might these technologies span multiple projects or multiple years or or even process, you know, people come together on a project and say, well, okay, we're going to do this process, you know, we're going to do lean, we're going to do this. But it's, you know, it's very much focused around the project. Do you think the, you know, the, the industry structured itself around competitive bidding around projects, you know, without clear pipelines of work and you know, long-term relationships between owners and uh, designers and contractors. Have you, have you noticed that sort of structure breakdown uh, over the years that has become very project and short-term orientated? Absolutely. I think it's driven, you know, frankly, it's no one's fault per se. I, I think it's driven by tradition. I think that we have seen uh, individuals in the AEC community as commodities because we, you know, a, a, a particular laborer, we believe we can we can replace that laborer with a with a similar function, right? Um, and even at a, an administrative level or a superintendent level, even to the to the point of um, 
uh, engineers and and architects, uh, our, our entire industry, in in the eyes of owners, unfortunately, have become commoditized. So, and just as an example, uh, here in uh, Austin, Texas, uh, I worked with an excellent, a, just a terrific uh, architecture firm around creating, helping them create a new vision for for their company going forward. And they're, you know, 30 plus years old in the market. They've done some terrific, terrific work, but they're they're at that stage of wanting to, it's not about rebranding, it's about, uh, you know, recrystallizing their purpose and, and really coming up with a vision for the future that is far more people-centric, frankly, than, than project or design-centric. And what I found interesting was in the research of their competition all around the state of Texas and frankly nationally, out of around 20 or 30 different organizations, architecture firms that I looked at as their competition, 99% of those architecture firms had a vision that talked about their architecture, their design, their projects. None of them mentioned even necessarily their people. None of them mentioned their clients. So the, the vision for these companies was very selfish. And, and again, I, I'm not even blaming us as, as an architecture community because for us as architects, we want to be a designer. We want to design that which you know uh, conveys emotion, which conveys beauty. And it is a lot about the design, right? But we are not selling design or architecture to one another. We're selling that design and architecture to a human being, to a client that is not necessarily even seeking out the architecture. They're seeking out uh, their own purpose. And the architecture represents an envelope for that purpose. Right. And so we need to take a, a much deeper step into their uh, proverbial shoes to understand what's their motivation, uh, what's in their heart, what's in their mind. In my way of thinking, it's it's putting people first. And, and so because of that, this particular architecture firm is really looking at a vision of, quote, for you, with you. And yeah. to the extent of, you know, invite the client in to be a part of their company, their architecture firm, for instance, for a day to see how that process works and vice versa. You know, if, if an architecture firm is designing a hospital, go be a part of that hospital for a day. Go, you know, if it's a law firm, go be a, a part of that law firm for a day. Um, and it's not, you're not signing contracts or doing surgery on somebody, but it's, it's actually living the life of your client at the very least for a day try to understand what it is you're doing and, and how you're doing it. That's the approach that I believe that that all of us in the AEC industry should take versus being concerned with the, the non-living, the non-tangible, the non-valuable in the sense of, you know, the project, the process, even to a large extent, the technology for technology's sake. And I suppose just sticking with this theme of, of people, I mean, one of the one of the reasons we started the AEC Hive was to form some sort of community uh, around the world of people who are in this innovation space. Because so even in the innovation that's happening in in the AEC sector through various efforts such as hackathons and small groups, you know, there's great things happening, but they're very short lived. And John, I mean, maybe you could come in here, yeah, but you you sort of had that experience where the the long term thinking about uh, innovation projects you know was was missing. It, you know people weren't thinking about taking ideas for a long run. They were you know just let's focus on this weekend and see what comes out of it. Yeah, um, about you know four or five years ago. When we, when I, when I was running my first technology consultancy, we took a keen interest in hackathons because, you know, that was our our tribe, if you if you want if you want a better word, 
where people were coming together and working on the latest ideas. And I mean, that's where, that's where my companies have been um, always um, in the past. Um, so we worked on all sorts of, all sorts of projects from using the latest technologies from Google through to um, taking the latest use case or taking problems from contractors and building innovative solutions around uh, their requirements. But what, what came to light was that we actually worked with a lot of, a lot of these technologies. And it, I mean, it was quite easy to build the solutions. Well, not easy. It, it took like resources, a lot of resources to come together for a short period of time. But what happened was that, you know, we, I suppose we took that from idea to through to, I suppose, developed solution. And I suppose we, we hit a roadblock when, when we um, actually brought that solution to the contractor or to the user of the technology that it was built for, where they actually struggled quite a bit to actually adopt the technology into their company because what happens and you know we're outside the room at this stage is that those technologies are brought to the boards and the boards and um, the, the decision makers are essentially saying well do we really need this i mean is 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 this really you know is is a 10% improvement really that significant that we need to change the way we work in our organization to adopt this technology and so there's a disconnect yeah. you're saying between you know, different levels of, of uh, engagement in, in the sector. Yeah, so, very much so. So when you're sitting amongst your tribe, the people you feel comfortable with, it makes complete sense to all of you. But as soon as that idea sort of goes into a different boardroom, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't survive the journey. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the ideas behind the AEC Hive was that we could create a more sustainable environment for idea development from you know concept through to fruition and be able to prop um, and connect the various different stakeholders that are required to really bring an innovative idea from uh, concept through to um, fruition through to the market. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one thing that we, we um, like that was one one aspect of the hackathon idea that you know very much so wasn't wasn't present because you know we had the resources for the weekend but once the weekend shut down and everyone that was bought into the weekend had dispersed you know these teams were left with their ideas and left with their um, innovations in an environment where you know they had no choice but to go back to their um, day job on on Monday and carry on until the next next event. And do you have any thoughts around that, Chris? No, I, absolutely. And 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 I feel John's John's pain and frustration. I, I've been through that myself personally. I've been through it with a number of, of different organizations and startups that I've worked with, both on the software side and the 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 design and construction services side. And he's he's not wrong at all. And and that's why in in the workshops that I facilitate and and put on from a from a ruckus perspective, they they have two major components in them that I think are, are a lot of value uh, when it comes to, you know, the innovation leading to a product or a service. Number one is, is really around having diversity in that space. So diversity means not only having the people who can, who can create the technology or the product or the service or deliver the service or the product, but also having, you know, quote, the customer's voice, the client's voice in the room as well. And, and that doesn't have to be the, uh, the exact customer that you are, or a client that you're trying to serve you know, a year from now once you're ready for production or implementation or servicing. It can be a voice of the industry or of that function or of that company type. And so bringing those people in, uh, the, the, those client voices in and asking them to really be mentors, right, advisors. Um, gives you that ability to not necessarily have the, the quote, groupthink 
um, if that's real, or the the other phrase of you know uh, eating the, your own dog food, that sort of thing, right? Uh, breathing your own exhaust, so on and so forth. So trying to bring in, even as a, as an advisor role or a mentor role, that that external client and customer um, uh, voice is is really important. And and the other thing is. Um, what I call, uh, and, and this isn't my phrase for, per se, but what I call uh, thought experiment and risk assessment. And what I mean by that is I will, I will um, suggest to the teams that I work with that they immediately, once they've got the big idea and they, they understand to a certain extent value, and let me step back one second, um, Another component of this is the actual business plan or the business value of the idea. So as opposed to trying to come up with a product or a service that solves a problem that we uh, that we believe is going on in the AEC industry, even if we don't have a client to confirm that in front of us, what we should do and what I typically do in all of my workshops is we go through a business plan and a value assessment to really understand to John's point, is it is this idea, do we believe it's worth 10%, 20%, 50%, 200%? What does that look like? And then we at least have a straw man of value to then approach those outside clients and customers with to vet, right? Nine times out of 10, we don't do that. We look at a problem, we then we, we engineer or design a solution for that problem, and we believe problem solved, but we don't necessarily know the value of that solved problem. Right. And so in order to do that, business plan is essential. Getting the client and customer's voice in that that discussion is essential, but also going back into your own organization, because it's going to be your organization, which is your immediate community to help you champion the idea, fund the idea, resource the idea, scale the idea. Right. This is where the idea of thought experiment and risk assessment comes in. And I'm going to talk very literally now. What I would want you to do is go into your organization and pull into a conference room everyone who loves you. And I mean that very literally. They like the way you dress. They like the way you smell. They like your smile. They like the way you walk. Everything about you they love. You bring those people into a conference room. You tell them your idea. You give them your business plan. Give them every detail about it. And you wait for all of the wonderful, positive things that these people have to say about your idea, and you write all of that down. Because that's that's phase two, phase three, phase four, phase you know, 100 of your, of your big idea. This is how we're going to make that idea better, and this is how we're going to sustain that idea's growth. You ask all of those people to leave, and you literally bring in another group of people in the afternoon, for instance, who hate your guts. And I literally mean that. They don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you smell. They hate your smile. They hate your walk. They hate your, the way you dress, everything. And you have to really be brave. And this is the thing that we never do in industry. We don't ask people what they don't like about us. You have to be brave. You have to stand up. You have to give them the idea. You have to give them the details. And you wait for all the slings and arrows to come at you. You wait for all the negative, you'll never be able to do this, this won't work, and so on and so forth comments. And this is the key, you write all of those down. Because when you eventually get to the point of talking to the CTO, the CIO, the CFO, the CEO of your organization to launch this idea, uh, whether you're the service provider or whether you're, whether you're the company who wants to purchase you know, what John or Ralph or Chris or any of us have to sell, What's going to happen is that person's not going to focus necessarily on all the great things that comes second. They're going to ask you what if questions. And what you're going to have is 99% of the answers for those what if questions. And that starts to take away the fear of risk. And it puts the conversation back on the opportunity of innovation, the opportunity of solution and problem solving. I think this is where we fall down almost 100% of the time. We're very excited about the ideas, which I totally support, but we really don't understand the value of those ideas outside our own thinking. 
And so that's, that is what I get incredibly passionate about. And that's what I want to help and bring to, um, you know, the community at large in the AEC is really trying to help people understand how valuable their ideas truly are. Very good advice. I think what's really coming out for me is this, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, Chris, that there's very little focus on people and uh, community and and so I'm just going to keep hammering at this <laughs> this idea. Um, one thing I've noticed and we briefly discussed it earlier was that the world has sort of come become a place where you have to stand on your own two feet. You've got to be a self-made person, or you know, there's kind of this pressure to to act and by yourself and and not collaborate and 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 not expect help and support from a wider community is my sense that this is happening. And uh, I suppose that's one of the things we're trying to address with the AC Hive community is that there's incredible people around the world that know amazing things and are doing amazing things. And if you have an idea, but you don't know the right people, you have no channel. And so we just we're trying to become that channel. But we, we, we use the analogy of a, a hive or tribe or you know where there's lots of um, bees or birds or or people that are working together collaborating for a common purpose what are your thoughts around that idea i mean is is that a, is that real is that is it a real sense of most people feel that they're on their own and that there's nobody there to help them and they just have make it in this world by themselves or is that just no I, I think you're I, I think you've really hit on a on an, an honest thread um, in in frankly our, our corporate lives let alone just uh, you know industry-wide in the AEC and and I think what it looks like is we're inundated with the uh, sort of a media focus on the Steve Jobs of the world uh, the Jeff Bezos of the world and 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 so on and if you look at the history of these individuals, um, you know Zuckerberg included, and 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 many many others, right? They, to be very frank, they picked a fight. Jeff Bezos picked a fight on how he would sell books in a different way. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs picked a fight, frankly, with IBM to say, how can I make what I see at IBM sexy, right? He didn't say, how can I make it a touchscreen or or how can I make it smaller? Or how can I make it more affordable? He's, he looked at it sort of, you know, the the giant that is IBM uh, many, 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 many years ago and said, how can I make what I'm looking at sexy? That's a different, you know, sort of mindset than we typically go in our process uh, and technology, you know, day-to-day -day lives. You know, having said that, those people who sort of started that fight didn't continue that fight by themselves. They gathered a, a diverse collection of equally intelligent people, equally experienced people to make that idea and bigger, frankly, to grow the fight bigger because status quo is, is, is quite a big fella. And in order to take the status quo down, you know, we need more than one fist in the fight, frankly. Um, and so, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world, the Bezos of the world, look at, look at where their ideas are now, right? You've got Amazon that controls basically, uh, online market. You've got, uh, Apple that controls, you know, the design and creativity of products, you know, ha they just happen to be cell phones or smartphones and, and on and on and on. Right. And that's because they didn't just want to have the idea. They wanted to build the idea, grow the idea, sustain the idea. And so we, we look around the world, and, and I think most of the world, in a sense, focuses on what comes out of Silicon Valley. And I don't want to take away from that, but in that Silicon Valley world, you've got a lot of individuals who are looking to be, you know, aka the next Steve Jobs. They're, they're gunning for VC money. They feel like they have to be that lone wolf who's taking on the world. And what you're seeing, I think, is when you insulate yourself in that way, you have what we've seen from you know, the, the CEO of Uber and, and what that exit looks like. 
you have what we see in WeWork uh, at the very top echelon of WeWork, CEO there, and what that exit looks like, right? And I think that insulation, go it alone, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I don't need anybody else, is not necessarily something that cannot be done. We know it can. But my question to any of those individuals or to any of us who are fighting that innovation fight is, what are we missing out on by trying to do this by ourselves? And in my humble opinion, I think we're missing out on a lot. Absolutely. That's excellent. And just, um, you know, I think disruption, when you look at where disruption has occurred in other markets, um, often that disruption has come from without from outside the, the people that are sort of operating in the sector. And you know, I get a sense that for many people outside the sector, uh, they feel quite alienated. In fact, I mean, you could almost say from a diversity point of view, at least 50% of the world's population you know, on, on, the, on the gender scale would feel quite isolated. And then people that have expertise in, in areas which are not directly related to AC, but in terms of disrupting and improving the way the AC sector works would be incredibly helpful. But for, for those people, it, you know, how do I get into that sector? It's just, it's, it's like a closed shop almost. I mean, do, do you think that exists? Is it people yeah, I, I from do, outside and I, the sector see it as a, as a closed shop and a no-go area and a, you know, I'll never be able to do anything there? I, I do, and it and it it really is is it, it runs the spectrum, right? I mean, um, I think that our industry does not look sexy to you know the millennials and and the Gen Zs and and other you know the the younger generations of the world. Nor do I think their parents um, are sending them to university to be in construction or frankly even engineering and design to a certain extent, but especially construction industry, and because. We don't look like we are technologically progressive, even though uh, as a superintendent in the United States or even a laborer on a construction site, um, you're probably making $100,000 a year or more. You, you probably have a, a very nice vehicle, a very nice computer. You're on a, you know, quote, uh, professional ladder. It, it is a incredible industry to work for. But I think we've sold ourselves short by trying to commoditize ourselves for so many decades now that we look like a non-progressive, non-technologically advanced industry, it, it and, which, true, which is not true, not at all. And, and I don't think that we look like we are a, an industry with you know, uh, problem-solving purpose, which again, I think we are. I think we're, we're solving the biggest problems of our built environment on a daily basis, but we do not market ourselves that way, and we do not show yeah. ourselves that way. And so I, I think mean, that the built environment impacts everybody. Like it's it's where you live, it's where you work, it's where yeah. You know, there's nobody that isn't touched by what the AEC sector does. You know, or very few people. Absolutely, but but at the same time that we're we we don't look. Uh, I'll use the term sexy again. Um, we also don't look approachable because we we tell people that our industry is unique, that you know we do things that no one else can do in the world. And what you're finding is that people believe that and they go, oh, well, we can't, you know, we can't design that that's an ivory tower that we can't approach. We can't engineer because they're telling me I'm not a, a good problem solver. And and I can't go into construction because um, they're telling me that what they do, their function is, is unique. And the truth is that we should be far more collaborative and accepting of different roles, different functions, different types of individuals to bring into our industry, if for no other reason, because we are choking on the lack of people versus the abundance of people in our industry. Yeah. But even yeah. if you take that sort of tactical notion out of the way, what we should be doing is embracing different types of people like data scientists and, and bringing those individuals into construction, into engineering, into design. We should be bringing people like anthropologists in, psychologists in, because we shouldn't look at our 
our products, which are these these the built environment, as standalone things. We should be looking at them as experiences. We should be looking at them as living, smart uh, experiences, environments for the people who dwell in them, who work in them, who live in them. And I don't think we do that. And so, and and in one you know way, we we put our arms out and push everybody aside and say you know, you're not for us. Um, in another way, we say, you know, you really can't do what we do because we're trying to frankly hold on to our uh, industry with white knuckles at this point. But yeah. here's what's happening on the outside of that bubble that is AEC. You've got individuals uh, like Elon Musk who are creating companies like The Boring Company and if you know anything about the boring company, the boring company is is not only about you know boring tunnels all over the world, but it literally means that this company is boring. That the industry that digs tunnels is boring. Basically, what Elon Musk is doing is he is flipping off an entire industry. And if you look at his FAQ page for the boring company. He basically says that our industry has made no advancements in the last 50 years, so he's going to do it for us. I want that to, I want that to sink in, right? That, yeah, that no, I think holding very... on to, yeah, we're holding on to our industry and the, and the work that we do so tightly that people outside our industry is saying, fine, you keep doing that. Um, you're acting like a dinosaur and you're going to die like a dinosaur and I will come in and take over for you. And, and real quickly, what has that gotten Elon Musk? He now has the ability, he has contracts to build tunnels under Washington, D.C., which is an incredible feat, and the Las Vegas Strip in Nevada, which is an equally incredible feat. So you're you're telling me that our industry for the last 50 years can't dig a tunnel under those two highly uh, built environments, but Elon Musk can. There is a huge disconnect when the boring company, no offense to them, I think they're doing a great job, but when the boring company is winning those type of contracts and companies with 50 years of experience can't. Absolutely. And yeah. Um, at the same time, it's it's interesting to watch some of these companies. Like, Katera would be another example of a company that you know, is almost coming from the outside, you know, from a manufacturing background, and uh, probably um, had hopes of doing a lot more than they have have in this space of time, because they have encountered that they have to work with the AEC sector. <laughs> yeah. You, now you, you're you're you're, you're, you're absolutely you're, you're, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but not not to diminish what they're doing is fantastic. It's just they probably um, had different plans, you know. But they've they've come across this idea that well, we can't do it without the AC sector. We have to do it with them, and and that's created some challenges in itself. Look, Chris, we could probably talk for hours, um, but before let's maybe just you coming over to the UK um, next month. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that and, and what you'll be doing and hopefully we, while you're over on this side of the world we can we can entice you to to come over an island and we'll, we'll talk about that separately but do you want to tell us about your uk trip and and what you're planning to do and and maybe also give people some details of where they can reach you absolutely no i, I appreciate that um so i i hope to be in the uh, the uk ireland area in towards the end of February with, uh, I, I've been blessed to be able to keynote at the BIM Show Live 2020 in the UK. And then I will be back in the UK, Ireland area in uh, for the month of May, probably be bleeding into June as well. And so in, in both cases, my hope is to, to work with some of the uh, the terrific companies within the UK and uh, within Ireland to work on their next innovation, to facilitate and, and workshop where they want to go, how they want to get there, and what the value is to not only them, 
but their community, their industry, and frankly, uh, very much in a global sense, right? I, I really look at uh, our competition as not regional or even uh, from a country sense anymore. I look at it as, as global. And how can we, you know, the work that we do, how can we reach global clients and customers versus those that might just be in our backyard? And, and so my hope is that uh, people will reach out to me. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my website real quick. It's www.ruckusic.com. So that's R-U-C-K-U-S-I-C.com. Uh, and, and reach out to me to see if we can somehow put together a particular organizational workshop, facilitation, uh, innovation workshop, or maybe even within some of the hive communities, you know, spin up what I call, you know, spinning up a ruckus, you know, let's pick a fight with something and not just try to solve it, but really understand what the value and the impact is. And, and that goes, you know, even to sort of the definition of, uh, or my definition of, of innovation. And, and I'll leave you with this. Um, the way I define innovation is uh, not unlike, you know, several of, of my colleagues and people that I work with, but it's really an art, not a science. It's the art of bringing something new or different out into the real world to make, make a significant impact. And that's really what I want to do, whether it's in Ireland, whether it's in the UK, whether it's in Austin, Texas, whether it's with one person or 10,000 people, I really want to and sincerely want to help people bring their ideas to fruition and make one hell of a significant impact. Fantastic. Excellent. So uh, maybe a, just a, a parting thought. Uh, John and I have had some ambitious plans, I suppose, with AEC Hive to connect people like yourself in a global community. So we have a we just sort of set a, a wild goal, like we want to connect 50,000 people across 50 countries over the next five years. People like yourself with, you know, great that can great input and great ideas and great skills, you, you know, and once people are connected, they can begin to have discussions, you know, germinate potential uh, innovation projects, which would turn into products and services and help change the world. So what advice would you give to AEC Hive and, and that sort of ambition? Is it is it ambitious enough? And uh, I, I think you know. the, the ambition there of, of 50,000 across 50 countries is is stellar. Um, and a lot of the workshops and, and the facilitation that I do, we start out with basically an innovation target. And the innovation target uh, typically has three components. It has a very, very radical goal. It has a very, very radical, uh, basically shortened time frame, and then it has a success metric. I don't know what your time frame for fifty thousand across fifty countries is, but it's a great metric. I think it's a great innovation five target. Five yeah, five. No, five years. I, I think that you know, I, I would, I would challenge you to make it in twelve months. And, and the truth is, if you fail that, that success metric in 12 months, you've gotten so far ahead of where you believed you would be that it can only be counted as success, right? I, I just, I, I think failure is a huge teacher for us, but I honestly don't see uh, anything necessarily as failure. I see it as, as learning to the next opportunity or learning to the next innovation. So, my advice for, for the Hive community would be, uh, and I think you're headed this way, would be make to make it as extremely diverse. And, and I don't mean that just in, in the literal sense, but I mean, I, I, I mean that generationally too, that we should have not just AEC uh, and AECO members, but I think that we should reach out to different members outside AEC community. We should reach out to those owners we should reach out to people who are ancillary to our industry and try to bring their thoughts, uh, their innovations, their perspective, their advice into us because it's only going to make us better. I think that the, the idea and the ability to share across those hives the wins and the failures and the best practices is extremely important. So whether that's a forum, whether it's a symposium, whether it's on-site, whether it's all virtually done, um, I think that's an incredibly insightful uh, and helpful to be able to share and collaborate. Because 
what I think you're doing, at least from a from a very positive sense, what I think you're enabling small groups around these 50 countries to do is act like a much larger force for change. So you may have a, a smaller hive of you know, 20, 30, 50 people within Dublin, for instance, but those 20, 30, 50 people are connected to 49,000 other people around the world. And as an actor or a, a catalyst for change, you've taken those 50 people and you've multiplied them in such a, a you know, hundredfold type of way that we can really start to push the industry in positive, innovative ways where, you know, Chris alone or Ralph alone or John alone, you know, simply can't do, whether we're Steve Jobs or not. I think the obstacles to this is really momentum. You know, like John was talking about earlier, you you solve the problem, you get the hive started, you, you, you get some great content there or, or great momentum, but then sustaining that momentum. And, and I think that's all about the content that not only the, the individual hives bring to those hives, but also a, a Dublin hive, an Austin, Texas hive, a Dubai hive brings to the larger community and always trying to you know, keep that information fresh, add to the body of knowledge, and frankly, add to individuals' value. People will return if they believe they're getting something out of it. And they will not only return, they'll bring others with them. And, and so the, the value of the content and putting those people first when we think about what's the value of these communities, I think is paramount. Absolutely. That's excellent advice. And uh, so we, we're very honored to have you as part of our community. And uh, I suppose one of the, the things about communities is that everybody gets to do something to, to help the community. So I'm going to ask you to do something for us. <laughs> Is to think Absolutely. about think about five other people like yourself that you think we should be talking to, and in a in a future a podcast, and help us connect with them. You know, let's set something up, and uh, and let's keep getting these really good messages out to people around the world. That a you're not alone. You're in a fantastic uh, industry with fantastic people, and we can do we can all do great things if, as long as we. Don't try and do it alone, but try and, and do it together. Chris, I really appreciate your time. It's, it's, um, it was really good stuff and uh, you well on your trip. And, and we we must keep pushing to try and do something in Ireland. And I will. I'm sure. sure yeah. it work out. If, if, it, if it doesn't work out for February, maybe later in the year, it'd be, it would be excellent to try and get you over here and speak to some people and kick, kick some ass. <laughs> exactly. So if, if uh, I, I don't know if, if I'll be able to make a, a February work, but if there's a if there's an okay. individual event or if there's even an industry or a collection of hive events been up there, um, I'd love to work with you and John and others. Yeah, we definitely try and make something happen. John, do you have any parting thoughts? Or? Thanks very much, Chris, for giving us your time. You're, you give us some really insightful uh, response there to my ideas or well I suppose the downfalls of the hackathon model and yeah I'm really looking forward to pushing pushing those ideas out to the community I suppose the, the conversation got got off topic you know I could have could have spoken a bit more about that and specifically around how the AC hive has attempted to plug the gap there between you know, having these resource pool available for anyone. That, so for people that are not working in companies that can give feasible or good good feedback and are not in the position to ask for help, help the good turn to the ACI community and, and ask, for, ask for help to build some resources and maybe a, a resource list in which people can reach out and ask ask questions to those that be able to give that honest feedback. Once we start that, um, once we start that particular exercise, it'd be really good to get your opinions and thoughts on it. If, if you'd be agreeable to that, it'd be great. Thanks, John, I appreciate that. No, I'm, I'm more than happy to help. And, and I've helped different organizations like Fleur and Jacobs, AECOM and some others spin up programs internally. 
where they go through an ideation phase, they go through the hackathon phase, and then they go through, you know, sort of very broad brush, the scaling and implementation phase. And so I'm more than happy to talk to you about sort of best practices, at least the way, the way I see them in, in helping you and, and uh, Ralph and, and the hives. You know, help is always two ways. So anything we can do to help you, Chris, um, you know, if, if you, there's a piece of content that you have out, that you're trying to put out and you just want to get it out to a wider audience, if we can help push that out or, or whatever, you know, just, just please ask um, if there's anything we can do. Appreciate it. Very much appreciative. Yeah. And I, I really thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to you guys and, and, yeah. you know, uh, talk to you, Ralph and John and, and add to the podcast. Good. You bet. Really, yeah, really looking forward to meeting you sometime this year, hopefully, uh, wherever we can do that in person. Uh, that would be would be great to meet in person. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks, Chris. Chris. Thanks for your time. Take Thanks, care. John. Bye bye. All the best. See you. Thanks. Yeah.